You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, Spot On listeners. I'm back, and I have an expert with me to talk about this pesty pesticide issue. I have with me Dr. Carl Winter. He is an agricultural and environmental chemistry guru. He studied at UC Davis and actually was there for over 30 years. He is actually the expert on this. He's research and outreach activities focus on chemical contaminants and food. He has provided U.S. congressional testimony because he was invited to do this on several occasions and has been involved in more than 1,000 media interviews all about pesticides and contaminants in food. And that's why I brought him on here on Spot On so that we could figure this out. So Carl, thank you so much for coming on. Great to be here. Thanks, John. Okay. So Carl, let's get to the bottom of this. All right. So why do we use pesticides to grow, you know, Mother Nature's finest fruits and vegetables? Well, pesticides are important in making sure that we can produce enough uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, many of our crops are susceptible to damage from insects and weeds and uh, plant diseases, uh, fungi. So pesticides are one of many different tools that growers can use to reduce those pest pressures to produce more um, higher quality and higher abundant food that makes food cheaper for consumers to purchase as well. Right. And you know, people sometimes forget this, Carl, and you and I know this because we love to hug a farmer, but people who grow crops, you know, and, and if something goes wrong uh, with the crop and you know, you're, you're betting your whole mortgage on growing tomatoes and something goes wrong um, and some bug eats all the tomatoes and you can't have a yield to where you can pay, you know, make a living on it. Or worse than that, Mother Nature goes wrong and she just rains forever, right? And the sun comes out. I mean, it's, I mean, it's such a, a risky thing to be a farmer. And gosh, no, that's why they do what they do and I do what I do because I don't think I have the stomach for it. Because, you know, that's really, really risky. So I can see why you don't want an insect coming in and, and destroying your crop. Uh, not only this is your living wage, but also people depend on you to feed us. I, I mean, we got to feed the world. We got to feed it with food. Um, and so really, if no pesticides were ever used, it would run amok, right? I mean, your crop, it would really be risky to see if you could possibly get a, a yield of a crop then to um you know, produce something that could really be worthwhile. So the question is, is a dance between, you know, using enough to get the job done, but not too much where there's pesticides residue on the food that you eat. So that's what I, that's really what I want to get down and dirty to here with, you know, should, should we worry about pesticide residues. We often hear this uh, that, oh, there might be some pesticide residues on that strawberry or that tomato or whatever. 
Should we worry about this? The levels of pesticide residues that we see on foods are typically very tiny, small levels, far below the levels that uh, we as toxicologists would consider to be levels of, of concern. It's not to say that we're not exposed to pesticide residues. We clearly are. But we have a saying in toxicology, it's the dose makes the poison. It's the amount of the pesticide, not its presence or absence that determines the potential for harm. And a lot of the reporting we hear simply points to the presence of pesticides without considering the amounts we're exposed to. Typically, if our typical exposure to pesticides in the diet is often 1 million times lower than levels that if we feed to laboratory animals on a daily basis throughout their lifetimes, doesn't even produce any effects in those laboratory animals. So, um, you know, we do have exposure. Our exposure is very, very low and not um, at a level to constitute a health threat. It's also, you know, pointed out that farmers, you know, because they're allowed to use pesticides, they will use pesticides all the time. In fact, that doesn't make any sense from a business standpoint either. Uh, farmers are looking for all kinds of different ways to control the pests or to decide whether they need to control the pests or not. So pesticides are one tool out of many different tools that they have, they, they can use. They're only going to use them judiciously because it's going to cost them money. There's paperwork, uh, uh, extra employees, uh, the cost from purchasing the pesticides, everything. That's all a cost. So they're not going to do it unless they've convinced themselves that that's in their best interest. And doing so, uh, as long as they're following the uh, regulations that are, are quite uh, stringently set by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the residues, if any, that show up on the crop should be at levels far below levels of health concern. You know, I think people don't remember that, that pesticides cost money. They're not free. You know, and so you're not going to add anything to a crop or an excess and waste it. Uh, you're going to add what you need to get the job done. And, and, you know, I've been to farms recently, and let me tell you, farms have gone high tech. I mean, I, I, it's amazing. I mean, they have tractors with iPads on it that can, you know, display the whole field and tell you where, you know, you may need more watering so you don't waste water because, you know, you got to pay for water and where you may see more weeds and what you have to do. It's really amazing. So they can really be very specific on this patch of tomatoes over there needs more watering or more, have a lot of weeds. So we got to do something about that because it's choking the crop there. So it's really, really uh, amazing. Now, you said something, you know, has this residue risk that's a million times lower, but how do you determine the risk? That's what I want to know. Who decides like what the risk is? Yeah. So there's, there's several different factors. Um, one is to figure out how toxic a pesticide is. And to do that, we do long-term uh, toxicology tests in animals, uh, usually rats, uh, sometimes other, other species. Uh, we try to find the most sensitive toxicological effect, that is the effect that's produced at the lowest level of exposure, any effect that, that we can see. And then we try to determine how much of that chemical you can give to the animal without causing that effect. So that's a really important thing. That's called the no uh, observed adverse effect level. Um, so if we've been able to identify that, so the maximum amount that you can give an animal over their lifetime, that means dosing on a daily basis, uh, every day throughout their lifetimes, it doesn't show any effect. We identify that level. And then we want to make sure that to protect humans, that we're quite prudent about this. So we often 
we'll assume that the level of safe exposure for a human is going to be maybe a hundred times, sometimes a thousand times lower than that of level that doesn't even cause effects in animals. And then the other aspect of this is to figure out how much we are actually exposed. And to do that, we need to know how much of the various food items we consume and the actual residue levels that are present on those food items. So combining those two, we can come up with an estimate of exposure. We compare that estimate of exposure then with the level that we think is safe. And um, generally, when we do that, our exposures to the pesticides are well below the levels that we are considered to be safe. So I'm quite confident as a food toxicologist that consumers out there who are exposed to pesticides, their level of exposure is very low and not of any health concern whatsoever. That's great. And like talk about reduced risk here, but what about little people? You know, what about children? I mean, you know, is there a factor factored into that or? Legislation passed in 1996 that requires the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to pay attention to the potential increased sensitivities of infants and children. And if there's evidence to suggest that particular pesticides may be more sensitive for infants and children, then they'll apply an additional uncertainty factor, safety factor. So when they go from the level that doesn't cause effects in the animal to what they think is going to be a safe level, often they'll, they'll apply another tenfold factor um, to that. So, um, and again, when we go back and we look at what our infants and children are exposed to, uh, the levels that they're exposed to are typically far, far below the levels of any health concern. So how do we know, I, I get this report, this USDA report every year, and, and it looks at the pesticides residue on the crops uh, that come into the country and the crops that um, we eat, including fruits and vegetables. And I know the answer, but can you tell our listeners here, historically, and even this just recent one, what are the way they find in this annual report? Uh, the annual report confirms uh, what we've seen for decades, which is that the typical levels of pesticides showing up are far below the allowable levels set by the government. Um, uh, generally, a small fraction of them are um, are anywhere near the allowable levels. And most of the uh, time, you know, for most samples, you don't even find uh, pesticide residues at all. And that could be because even though pesticides may be allowed to be used on those crops, if there's no reason for the growers to be using the, the pesticides, they're not going to be doing that. So we've got decades of data. What it really indicates, in my opinion, is that the people using the pesticides are following the application procedures. They're using the proper pesticides on the proper commodities. They're using them at the proper amount and the proper timing throughout the growing season which makes sense because if they're trying to produce food, they don't want to have their entire crop destroyed if, uh, if they're found to be in violation of these uh, regulations. And I think the data uh, are pretty good indicator that that's normally occurring, uh, both in the United States and, and throughout the world. And, you know, back to what I said in the beginning of this, now with technology, they, have you seen that the usage of pesticides you know, have gone down because they have better technology and can use less of it? That's a really good question. And, and I'm, I'm not an economist, so I, I can't uh, go into a lot of details. There's a lot of good reasons why you would anticipate that. Um, it's hard to to gauge what does it mean for a pesticide use to go down? Are we looking at the number of applications on a crop? Are we looking at the absolute amount 
of pesticides being used because a lot of the newer uh, technologies, the newer pesticides that are allowed to be used can be very effective at fractions of ounces of pesticide per acre. So the amounts of the pesticides might be a lot lower. So it depends on how we how we look at that. But I think that the trend is to use pesticides judiciously in combination with all kinds of other factors to make sure that ultimately you're having safe, abundant, and affordable produce being grown. Which is very important because we know that when it comes to produce, more is better. And gosh knows the average typical um, American is not even coming near the recommended minimum five uh, cups of fruits and vegetables a day. And so we got to make sure this promotion to eat more. And so we want to make sure that they're comfortable doing that. So for people um, who, you know, are concerned about pesticides, and I hope this conversation helps people to to realize that how low the risk is, they can use organic produce, you know, produce, I should say, that is grown in an organic way. And can you explain to everybody what the difference is between traditionally grown produce and organically grown produce? Traditionally grown produce allows the growers to use a variety of different techniques to produce their foods and control the pests. Organic production is a little bit more limited in terms of how the uh, fields can be managed. There are pesticides that can be allowed to be used in organic production, provided that they are approved by the National Organic Standards Board. So organic productions have more restrictions in terms of what can be what can be used. Uh, but the same principles apply. Uh, organic pesticides follow the same basic principle that the dose makes the poison than, uh, than do uh, conventional pesticides. And the grower's concern, whether they're organic or conventional, is to make sure they have a product at the end of the, the growing season that they can sell. And sometimes the, uh, the cost of production Inorganic may be a lot higher, and that may be reflected in higher prices for consumers as well. I think that's a very key point because people think that uh, organically grown produce is pesticide-free, that they don't use any, but they are allowed to use some. And people say, oh, they only use organic pesticides. No, because I, I did my homework, Carl. And there are some synthetic pesticides that organic crops can use. So organic soaps. So it's it's very interesting how people have this is all or nothing message here. But really, it's, it's they're both the farmers. They both want to have good crops. They both want to control pests. And they both want to, you know, be able to feed all of us, which is really, really good thing. So what upset me is every year the environmental working group comes out with this list of the top 12 foods that have the highest pesticide residues all right they so of this low amount of residues that the USDA looks at every year they come up with those low ones but the highest of those low ones of the highest residue and what it does is it makes people scared you know, it, you know, if they find that this certain fruit, this certain body of vegetable was on this list of having the highest residues, then people get scared doing that. So, you know, as a toxicologist, what do you what do you think about that? Well, for years, I've I've dealt with this, um, the, the fallout from this report. I think it's been coming out annually since 1995. 
And for many, many years, I would get the call from the reporters, explain about this, why are these foods the worst for you? And I talk about some of the same things we're discussing today. So after maybe 12 or 13 years of getting those calls, I sat down with a graduate student of mine and we said, you know, let's just look at this and let's apply a toxicological approach to looking at the risks for these uh, 12 commodities that show up on this uh, so-called dirty dozen list. And so it was not rocket science. It was very simple research, simple uh, risk assessment work. We looked at the 10 most frequently detected pesticides on each of those 12 different crops. We then looked at the toxicity, the food consumption, uh, the actual residue levels found in the same studies which were putting those um, pesticides on that list. And we found that, you know, not surprisingly, our exposure to those pesticides was very, very tiny, uh, infinitesimal level of exposure. So people are being exposed but there really aren't risks to their health. And in looking at that, we looked through their methodology um, and it's quite arbitrary and it doesn't address uh, any of the toxicological criteria. So it doesn't actually look at the toxicity of the pesticides. It doesn't look at the amount of the foods that we're actually consuming. It really doesn't even look at the amounts of the pesticides that we're detecting. So even when you say, Joan, that they're showing you the 12 commodities that have the most pesticides, that's not even a valid point based on the methodology. So it's very arbitrary. They have these, you know, they have six different criteria that they look at, none of them which fit the criteria that we as toxicologists would look at, and they come up with the list. So no matter what level of risk you'd have with pesticides, you can always apply a uh, methodology like that to tell you the 12 worst things uh, of that, but it tells you nothing about what uh, risk consumers face. But somehow in their logic, because they're on the top 12, then consumers are being advised to purchase organic counterparts and not buy those foods conventionally if they're allowed to do that. And that, again, doesn't really have any scientific basis. You know, it's interesting, and people don't know this, and I want to get this out. This USDA annual program and report that reports on re uh, pesticide residues in commodity crops is the same report that this environmental working group uses. So we have that data right in front of us. They use the same one. So to me, it's like, okay, so we just found out that the 99% or more of the you know produce that's come that we consume has really, really low pesticide you know, residues, but they're going to look at that list and get the highest of that little list. I mean, this is crazy. To me, it's like, it's a rank. Of course, someone's going to be a top 12 or the lowest of the low. It, it makes no sense to me. But what upsets me, you know, and this is why I'm doing this podcast, is it scares people from eating produce, all right? And we not only know, uh, you know, not everybody can afford organic produce. We know that organic produce can be up to 70 times, um, you know, higher in cost, you know, and, and not everybody can afford that. But also, you know, if you have limited food dollars, and, and Carl, have you been food shopping lately? Oh, my goodness gracious, sticker shock, right? Okay, so if you have $10 to buy, to spend on produce, I want you to get the most 
produce for that $10. And so I don't want you, if you want to eat organic, that's fine, go ahead, uh, or traditionally grown. But if that's all you have, you know, people often say this to me, what do you eat? Do you eat organic or traditionally grown? And I say, I'm from New Jersey, I eat what's on sale. And that's what, I don't care how the heck it's grown, I want the most for my buck. And so that's what I'm afraid of, that people get scared. And we're talking produce. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think there, there's even, in addition to all the health aspects, there's psychological concerns about that. So the supermarket shaming, you know, you're walking in the in the produce aisle and your neighbor is out there and they see you <clears throat> put a couple of the items that your kids love in your shopping cart that happen to be on the dirty dozen list and your neighbor confronts you about that. I mean, that's stress we really don't need in our lives right now. And it's not really the place to have that discussion, if, even if you have very good reasons for purchasing what, what you're purchasing. But that internal guilt that you may feel and the stress that you may feel. Um, you know, I think about stress. I think about my experiences, you know, in, in March of 2020, right as, right as COVID's going out. And uh, my wife and I would, uh, you know, we'd take turns every week deciding who gets to go to the market. And that was the most stressful uh, time of, of my life at that, that period. I was scared to death to go into the market. And so it's not an equivalent situation to going now and, and purchasing fruits and vegetables, but I can appreciate the stress and the strain that you have and the anxiety that comes with that. Um, the last thing you need is to be looking over your shoulder to, um, you know, and to see if one of your neighbors is, um, is watching you buy strawberries, which your family loves and your children think are delicious and they've developed great, great habits eating a very helpful food like strawberries and you're, you're worried about being shamed about that. Right, right. And you only have to buy organic of, of that variety. And, you know, there was an interesting article in Nutrition Today about just about this, about how mothers, like, like mothers that don't have enough stress in their life, you know, mothers were really so concerned about these pesticide residue because they hear this, that they stopped buying, they bought less produce of either kind because they're, you know, mothers, they take care of the little cubs, you know, uh, you know, taking care of our babies here. And so it was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not feeding my child that. And sees, again, misinformation. And that's the worst thing you could do is by not having enough adequate produce in your diet, fruits and vegetables, because we know that they fight cancer and heart disease and type 2 diabetes and lower your blood pressure and just make you happy. I just made that last one up, but whatever. You know what I mean? And so I think, I, you know, we saw that in that study to say that they they were scared by this and, and totally, totally not necessary. You know, don't you, you know, when, when you get fruits and vegetables, I always tell everybody you have to wash them. You have to wash them. First of all, there's dirt on them right? And you might have bacteria on that could get you sick. So everybody should wash them anyway. And if you have a firm skin, you know, use a brush under running water. But doesn't that remove, besides the dirt, potentially remove any, some of the pesticides residues that may be on there? Yeah, in many cases, it does uh, remove the pesticides. Uh, it depends a little bit on the pesticide itself, its own chemical characteristics. Some are not uh, particularly water soluble. So just rinsing in water may not work so well. Uh, and then it depends on the food too. Uh, it's a whole lot harder 
to get uh, pesticide residue off the surface of an apple than it is uh, off uh, broccoli, where you have uh, lots of surface area and lots of folds and things like that. But I think it's a good idea. And the, the major reason that you mentioned, it's, uh, you know, you're going to get uh, potentially bacteria off of there. If you're in the supermarket and you're pulling something out of, um, you know, out of, out of one of the shelves, you don't know that uh, somebody's four-year-old kid with a, with a cold from daycare has uh, been there before and is sitting in the front of the thing and has grabbed a few things and touched their face. And, you know, you don't know any of that. You don't have any control over that. You have control when you get home and you can rinse it off. So I would do that. If it makes you feel better about pesticide residues, that's an added benefit. But the reason to do that is just to uh, just to make sure your your food is clean. And it sort of gets then at, at this other notion that that bothers me a lot, which is sort of the notion that these the produce is dirty. If it's the dirty dozen, that is, you know, that is that is such an awful term to express um, for food products that are very healthy uh, for you. So I, you know, the the moniker dozen is just really uh, troublesome. Or dozen, I said, dirty is is really troublesome to me because I think it disparages uh, products that are about as as good as you want to be putting in your mouths. Right. You know, Carl, I'm big, the, my new thing now is sustainability. I'm like Miss Sustainability now, and I'm, you know, um, I'm giving a lot of talks on sustainable crops and, and stopping food waste and uh, such. And, you know, I'm big on locally grown. And locally grown because, you know, it's in season, and if it's locally grown, it's going to taste really, really great. So I'm locally grown no matter how it's grown because, you know, if you have only one organic – but you're getting organic from New Zealand and it's being shipped from New Zealand all into the United States so you can have an organic whatever piece of fruit. Uh, excuse me, let's talk about sustainability and Mother Earth. So there's so much going on here. And so again, I buy what's on sale. I wash it before I eat it. And uh, thank goodness we have people like you who spent your life uh, learning about this and educating us and, and really helping the public to understand that the risk is so low. Just wash it, but the risk, eat it. That's what you want to do to really have um, some good health. So with that, Dr. Carl, I want to thank you so much, so much for being here today on Spot On. Thanks for having me, Joan. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salgy Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?